the She Made Me Do It podcast, brought to you by Stagecoach, providing excellent customer satisfaction with a great service. For more information, go to stagecoachbus.com. Hounds, a tailored combination of barbering and hairdressing techniques within exquisite creative space in Southsea, brought to life by art and music. Hounds Ethos is by combining friendly customer service with a passion for providing an enjoyable hair experience people will want to come back time and time again. Find us on Facebook at Hounds Barbers or on Instagram at Hounds underscore Barbers. For more information, try the website houndsbarbers.com. Come and get a haircut, snippity snip. Clip snip. Clip. <laughs> they have to wait for me to finish my snip. There you are, the PC Yay. died, and now we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. We are joined by, um, she made me do it. Yeah, we are on the, the podcast now. We're we off are. the radio, and we're back on the podcast. We, we are on it now. We're just trying to get, <laughs> I'm trying to get my old ball bearings going around. <laughs> but we've got a brilliant guest. What I'll do is I'll read the bio of this, this guest we've got on. Yes. And then we can we can go on from there, because he's, he's, he's a man, he's a legend, as I've just described him, when he walks in. He started laughing, and then I said, no, you are, he's you dropped, are, Randy. He's already dropped a few names that we've had to try and pick off off of Floyd. Yeah, and it's, it's just like top trumps, <laughs> and I've got this, and I did that, and I met them, he's and trumped, they met them. He's trumped he's, everything. He's, well, let's move on from that, we don't want to know about that. Uh, Andy Grays, <laughs> he is, uh, has spent most of his working life, um, since he was three years old, he's now 27, working in theatre, venue and events management. This includes managing two West End theatres, the Lyric and the Duchess Theatres. On the management team of two other West End theatres, the Theatre Royal Drury Lane and also the Gilgood uh, Theatre and spells the London Palladium and Her Majesty's Theatre. In the West End, he worked to the opening of Miss Saigon and Olivier Award winning Five Guys Named Mo both with the producer Cameron McIntosh. He started his career in theatres in Liverpool and worked at one of the country's leading music venues, the Manchester Apollo. Theatre management brings you no, sorry, brings you into contact with many shows, artists and diverse audiences. As well as the shows mentioned above, Andy has worked on hundreds of great shows, including Phantom the Opera, A Chorus Line, Run For Your Wife, Joseph Evita, as well as some of the world's greatest music artists. In 2003, he opened the Hat Factory Arts Centre in Luton, helped set up the Luton Cultural Trust in 2008, and was appointed CEO of the Guildhall Trust in 2012, where he beat me just to the job. He oversaw the delivery of the UK's largest one-day carnival in Luton for several years and was chair of, in Bedfordshire of the Cultural Olympiad Forum. He's now in the room. We say hello to Andy Grace. How are Hi, you, sir? Darren. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Hi, Lou. That's a good intro. That's a formidable oh, wow. intro. God, I'm going to retire now. <laughs> and that makes you feel a bit old when you go It makes me it. feel very old. There's too many, too many memories there. Um, so we, we asked, Andy, before we get into your, your name dropping and you're going to outdo me in the room. Absolutely. What made you want to become part of the you know events teams and management for for theatres? I, I I fell into it by luck. Um, I always loved music, from a, like most of us do, but I really wanted to pursue it. And I uh, bizarrely was studying accountancy. Right. My father was okay. an accountant at Leicester Uni. Right. And realised very quickly I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to get <laughs> yeah. One of my heroes was a guy called Steve Lillywhite, who was the producer of all the U2 albums in the eighties. And I thought, right. that, thought that's a great job. And I remember writing to hundreds of record companies. Only one responded, and that was EMI. And they said, "Become an accountant and then come and join us." Well, I couldn't become. I mean, you know, mm. four to five years of studying, and uh, I was never brilliant at accountancy. And I was very lucky because my old man, who is a, a fantastic, fantastic person, was a great accountant and he had lots of great clients. And one of them, he said, had this theatre chain 
well, my father didn't know he had the biggest theatre chain in the country. And I remember as a 20-year-old 20, yeah, 20 being asked to go to this um, uh, garden centre in Oxfordshire, in the middle of nowhere, because he had a client who ran the garden centre, and this, guy had a, this client had an investor who ran this theatre chain. And I sat down with a gentleman called Paul Gregg, and Paul Gregg, within the theatre venues industry, is legendary, because mm. Paul had set up the Apollo Leisure Group in the 80s and established all these venues right around the country. He bought some of them really cheaply. So the Liverpool Empire, 2,300 seats, he bought for a pound off a local authority. Wow. <laughs> Because they didn't want them, they didn't want them. They didn't want them, they were mm. subsidising them, and along yeah. came Apollo Leisure. So I straight away was offered a job, not in theatre, but in cinema management, a training cinema management, which was good. And I went up to Barrow and Furness, and then down to Landudno, and became a cinema manager at 20. They claimed I was the youngest cinema manager in the country. I don't know about that, but that's what their claim was. And then I moved into theatre management, and funnily enough, the very first theatre I went to was one of the great theatres in this country, the Liverpool Empire. If you ever watch Britain's Got Talent, you'll see the Liverpool Empire is one of the mm. venues they always go to to do the auditions, and it's lovely seeing the old theatre there. You know, so being, it's quite a big one. Oh, it's massive. It's massive. 2,300 seats. Wow. Uh, I then went to the Manchester Apollo, 2,600 seats. And the Apollo Manchester, back in the 80s, next to what was then Hammersmith Odeon, was the great rock venue mm. in the country, 150 to 200 gigs a year. Mm. And in those days, in the 80s, there was probably two arenas in the country. There was um, Wembley Arena yeah. and there was the NEC. So bands, bands had to then come to Manchester... And what they did was they just did several nights. So Duran Duran or Level 42 were big in the really big in the 80s. Mm. Aha. They just did, you know, they came to us and just we, we sat with them for almost a week. <laughs> we got to know some of these guys. It was good. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you look at, I was, I was just reading off your bio and, and I'm thinking, okay, Drew Lane, worked at that one, done that one, done that one, done that one. They're the biggest theatres. In Britain and probably possibly yes. Europe. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, I've always said I've been very lucky and mm. I've done things at the right time for me. I, I spent four years uh, working what we call the provinces for the, this first company. I worked in, in Liverpool, Manchester, Oxford, did a stint doing summer season in Scarborough. Party on. Um, yeah, I was, it, was my, it was, wow, it was, it, was, it was heavy. And then down to Oxford. And then I decided I wanted to get into West End Theatre Management. Mm. And I joined what was then the opposition, who were the oldest chain of theatres in the country, a company called Stormos Theatres. Um, and they had all the big West End Theatres. They had 12 West End Theatres from the Victoria Palace, all the, all the theatres on Shaftesbury Avenue. And uh, bizarrely, I found myself at Drury Lane six weeks before what was to be the biggest musical in the world was about to open which is Miss Saigon mm. and the anticipation was huge in 1989 because it was the follow-up to Les Miserables by the two um, composers Boubille and Schomburg and the biggest producer in the world Cameron Mackintosh at what was then in Stillies in London probably next to the London Palladium the biggest theatre in the West End mm. 2,300 so seats in London not in America yeah then those days and it's still to a point in this day all the big musicals in the eighties, were launched in the West End because you had the Lloyd Webber musicals coming through. They started off. I mean, he started off with his success really with Cats mm. as an individual composer after he broke from Tim Rice, and then he went into Starlight Express, and then his biggest one was Phantom in eighty six. Mm -hmm. And yet, Les Misérables with these two French guys. I don't know if you know the background to Les Mis, but mm. Les Misérables had been a flop, according to the critics, when it premiered at the Barbican Theatre. And they all wrote it off. 
And yet, um, Cameron McIntosh picked it up and said, look, you know, with Lloyd Webber, they put it into a small theatre called the Palace Theatre in, in London. And there it was, and there it stayed for 20, 20 years before they moved it to the Queen's Theatre. So long, really long standing. Uh, yeah, so everybody had this expectation. Everything launched in London, in the West End. All the big musicals at the time, um, Aspects of Love, Starlight Express, Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables, and then, of course, Miss Saigon. And um, it, it had a, a legendary um, box office advance in those days of £5 million, which was huge. And uh, so it's before it, it, the day when you had to buy your ticket, when it, it was like you, now it, you want to get a ticket to something like Hamilton or something, mm. it's like three year wait, isn't it? So well, it, like, it was it was the same then. I mean, in those those days, they used to open the box office almost a year right. before the musical opened. And he, Cameron McIntosh, very he is the most fantastic publicist of his shows. So he used to drop little uh, snippets of artwork into the Evening Standard or the national newspapers, and you kind of looked at him, well, what's that about? <laughs> and people were trying to work out what the, um, the this kind of helicopter, uh, you know, in this kind of you mm. know Korean-Vietnamese background was all about. And, of course, it became clear that his next big musical was Miss Saigon, and the ticket sales came in. And, of course, the, I think the musical cost about $3 million, mm. and that he... He already had received five million before it opened, so he'd already paid for the musical wow. before it had actually been seen by the critics. So staging, special effects. Yeah. So how did you, yeah. when you first saw the the, the staging, when you say the special effects in, in in your theatre, how does that make you feel? Well, I think I think when you when you work in a big West End show, um, it, it, it is mind blowing. I mean, today when I go and see West End shows, I mean, I remember seeing an American in Paris a few years ago. It's very digitally led, mm. and it therefore hasn't got the kind of set and scenery that they used to have. They don't need to. Mm. I mean, it's very clever. Back in the eighties and nineties, there was a huge amount of set and a lot of money invested in putting a show. And they used to say probably only one in one in ten shows made its money back in in, in London. But musicals have always been a passion for both British audiences. Uh, and tourists mm. and um, you know uh, seeing something like Miss Saigon and the helicopter coming down and this Ho Chi Minh statue being raised by ropes and a huge cast was, was was really special and I was very lucky because on the opening night of Miss Saigon we all went into the dress circle and stood on the side and just in front of me was Cameron McIntosh and there was a few of my colleague management colleagues and then the audience rose and they were all in tears by the way you know, if you have if you haven't seen Mr. I gone, please see it. But at the end of it, everybody's crying, and you know everybody was in tears and this whole wave of emotion. And the cast obviously were jubilant, and Cameron had tears pouring down his face. We all had tears pouring <laughs> down <laughs> our face. And you know what? We we actually said we should actually be selling tissues mm. to the public as they're coming out. Wow! And yet the opposite to that was a uh, yeah, second second show I worked on with him was uh, Five Guys Named Mo, mm. which was uh, the based on the musical Louis Jordan. And that was really up, upbeat and mm. lots of tap dance and songs. And it had been the surprise success. And it had won the Olivier Award for Best Musical. I think it was in 1990. And we were sold out for two years solid. Wow. Crazy. And that, was, that had a simple set, sing, a band on stage, and used to have a, a conga line coming out. Um, the audience would join a conga before the interval, go up on the stage and dance with the five guys, and then hit the bars, which was brilliant. It was so hard. I've seen it. And it was the, the energy yes. of that was incredible, wasn't it? Yes. It's, and they can keep that on for like two and a half hours. This it's amazing. is amazing. Because they go on like maybe two times a day. Yes. How do actors keep mm. the momentum? It's, 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 a really, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. I, I th there, there are two things to be aware of. Um, with Miss Sargon, we found that those um, actors who weren't vocally trained 
very quickly had, were in trouble. Mm. So, for instance, Jonathan Price, who played the engineer in Miss Saigon, within a month or two, he was starting to miss performances because his voice was going. Mm. And his understudy, who was vocally trained, a guy called Nick Holder, was going on and was fantastic. Mm. But, of course, people get disappointed if they don't see the star yeah. name. And with Five Guys No Mo, the, the energy of a two-hour show, we did um, two... We did two shows on a Friday night and two shows on a Saturday night. We did a 6 o'clock and an 8.30, back to back. And uh, there's a lot of it's tap dance mm. in that show and singing. And they had to be extremely really fit. You're, look, you're looking at athletes who yeah. can, can achieve that level of performance. I always it, think that. Yeah, a lot of people say acting is quite easy. But it's not the demand. It's, it's incredible, especially when you see something like that. Yeah. As well. It's the focus they have to have eight shows a week, mm. uh, months for, 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 for a long time. And if the standard drops, the producer steps in. And I have to say, I was, I was in the auditorium probably too. I used to go in just before uh, the show opened, uh, the, 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 the doors opened to the public at Drury Lane. I would stand on the stage in front of all the staff and we'd put them in their positions. And um, that started to open up the theatre. And then this one night, uh, one of Cameron's associates came in and said, can I just have a moment with the cast? And he said, but I want all the staff to sit here and watch. And he put all the cast, including Jonathan Price and all the leads into the, into the auditorium to sit them down. He told them off. And he told them off because the standard had dropped. Wow. And then in front of us, in front of these kind of 20-somethings <laughs> who, you know, they probably didn't think much of. Yeah. And suddenly we but, were because you're a massive production. Everyone, yes. from everybody the front has of to house work hard. To the, yeah, because you yes. could have you could come into a theatre and the front. Like this is what what's great about going back to the Guildhall where you are now is, and also the Kings at, mm. at Southsea. We have really lovely front of house mm. staff. They welcome you. They help yes. you. They sort you out. There's and you go some places and they're just so miserable. It's you know it's the thing about. The meet and greet mm. is so important. I remember at Five Guys Name Mo, we had a really interesting concept. Um, we'd pick this up because Five Guys Name Mo had actually started off at the Theatre of Stratford East in East London and then had been transferred to the West End stage where it kind of premiered to, to the wider public. And the Five Guys themselves were a bit of a concept. They were kind of these singing, dancing dudes. So what we did is we created two honorary Mo's. <laughs> who would who would meet the public as they came in through the front door. The idea was the show started the moment you walked wow. into the entrance. And idea. Cameron kind of backed us with this. He said, OK, let's give it a go. And they dressed in the same costumes. So if you walked in, Lou, to Five, go, five Guys in 1990 mm. or 91 at the Lyric Theatre, these two guys would, would muck around with you. They'd want yeah, to see yeah. you dance or sing. <laughs> and people loved it. And the show yeah. started then and there in at the front door. In a feel good. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You know, when we look at venues like the Guildhall and the Kings and all, I think great venues understand that people are coming for a night out. Mm. Mm. And um, it's a shame if things disrupt that opportunity. And you want to give them the, yeah, the idea yeah. that it's, it's, it's about value for their money. But the other thing is about it is... is it, no matter how long the show is, if it's been three, four, five years, someone's going to see it for the very, very first yeah, time. It's Correct. Their first experience. And, and that's, yes, yeah, yeah. so, and that's, the, you know, they're, they're paying their wages. Correct. Without. Uh, you know, and the ticket prices get higher and higher. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, West End ticket prices have, I mean, when I was there in the late 80s, early 90s, the top price might have been £35. You're talking about £100 at least for, for a ticket. Yeah. as well. It's, it's a lot of money. But then there's a lot goes into it. A lot goes into it. Um, it's a and, lot of people. Yes. There's a lot of staffing. Mm, yes. There's all that technology, is yes. all that. So I sort of get it, but it's the same thing with 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 a visiting 
concert at the Guildhall. And this is a question we're often asked about the ticket price. Why is it so expensive? And the decision is often made by the promoter. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I mean, I think when we had Paul Weller come to the Guildhall about two or three years ago, the tickets were hitting nearly 80, 90 pounds. Mm. Well, the artist is basically taking a very sizable proportion of that. So they make that determination. And then the promoter has to pay the venue. We have a fairly standard high yeah. charge, no more or less than most concert halls around the UK. Mm. But then you've got all the on-cost. Now, the best and most efficient um, show is a comedian coming on stage with a, with a single mic like Sarah Millican. Mm. And there's no production at all. There's a spotlight. Mm. And then you look at the most expensive show, something like when we had many years ago Motorhead with a whole rig or last year Saxon. You know all the lights and the sound <laughs> and the crew and there's three trucks outside. We had the, we had I think we had three Arctic's when the Gorillas came to us eighteen months ago. You think about touring that around the country? It's mm. a lot of work. Yes, yeah. but, but again, yeah. it's 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 putting on a show, isn't it? It's, it's enjoying the, yes. the, the the show. Cause it, that might be the only time you'll ever get to see someone. Yes. So yeah, just, and it's oh, the, that's it. you, you've ticked the box, yeah. haven't you? You've done it. Like, yeah. like seeing Mark, like this is really crazy, but seeing Mark Holman at. Um, the uh, Jules Holland yes. Christmas always oh, good. You know, Christmas is coming yes. when Jules Holland hits yes. um, the Guild Hall. But it was like, oh my God, I've seen Mark Holman sing, you know, Tame to Love. Or it was it, just it, good. I agree. I mean, I, I get quite emotional when I see heroes of mine. I, mm. see, I mean, Paul Rogers was with us, I think it was a year or so ago, you know, and the man who was least stronger with Free and Bad Company, and just listening to him sing those songs. And then yeah. Robert Plant sings some Led Zeppelin a year or so back. You know, I think you know you're still in the business, and you know you're still <laughs> when you still get you still want to work hard with it when you get emotional about it. Still. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've had a few stories like that going back to your older days, where you um, you were telling me the other day about um, the Wall of Fame. Yes, the Wall of Fame pictures. And yes, yes, yes. So how did that come about with the, with the, the Hall of Fame? Because I mean, that's a fantastic, you know. Uh, thing to, to be part of. So how did that all come about? Whose idea was that? It, well, it, it, I, it was dare I say it was mine. It was it was a part of the. We had Mick Jones from Florida, mm. and part of the idea with the Guildhall, and it's something I've I've, I've, I've recognised. A lot, a lot of theatre managers recognise their venues have a history. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, concerned me when I walked into the Guildhall in 2012 was the only reference to the Guildhall history in the cafe was the, a photocopy of a ticket that Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles had been there. Mm. And you look into it and you think, actually, there's a lot more than that. And then you go back, well, 120 plus years, but especially 60 concentrated years of the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Zeppelin, Queen, more recently Mumford. And you say, there's a lot that's happened. And the public also have had experiences, mm. memories, and they, they have personal stories to tell. So with the Wall of Fame, we knew Mick Jones was coming in, and he's 70 years old at the time. Uh, for me, quite legendary, set up and created Foreigner, one mm. of the great bands of the late 70s, 80s. Was they huge, weren't they? Well, we all remember that one number one hit, don't we? <laughs> yeah, you know, you, I don't want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. And, and, the, the, and the video. Yeah. Do you remember the video? <laughs> and we thought we should celebrate it. And then we, you know, he, he, wanted, he was delighted. He flew his son over from the States. Mm. And he had, all these, he had a great Aww. aunt there who was nearly 90. So that, that started the ball rolling. And then, you know, Portsmouth has a lot... Uh, of really interesting celebrities, much more than I've ever encountered in mm. a in a town or city of this size or population. So suddenly you're looking at people who have associations with with Portsmouth. You know, people like Joe Jackson mm. and Mark King, although they might have started off uh, living close, close on the outskirts of Portsmouth, Mark King tells a story, 
you know, that uh, Mark King from Level 42, he, mm-hmm. he, he came to see a concert in 77 at the Guildhall and befriended two brothers. And they're travelling back on the ferry to ride. And they found they had similar interests. And on the back of that, they formed Level 42. Wow. And you go, what a story. So you came to the Guildhall and you formed Level 42. And that's where the Wall of Fame came in. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's a brilliant little museum, Yes, if, if you want to call it that, uh, there. Because you, can see, you look around the, the heritage and, and history of it, and you think, and I know Dave Allen from the university. Yes. Here, and what a character he is. And yeah. some of his knowledge that he's got from the birdcage and stuff yes. like that. And it's all reflected up there. It's wonderful. It is. It is. It's, it's quite extraordinary how they've curated it and mm. how they've loved it. And um, and people come in. And, of course, what happens now pre-concert is that people wander in. And you could find, you know, 50 to 70 people just having a walk around, reliving some memories, remembering mm. the birdcage, you know, the cellars. Mm. And, uh, and you know, some of the concerts they've seen. Mm. I think we all have our wonderful memories of going to a concert. Mm. And I, they're very special. And, and that's what we're trying to bring bring out a bit more. Well, you, you mentioned the word special there. Which my very, very first, <laughs> my first <laughs> concert I ever saw was the Two-Tone Festival at the Guildhall well, in 79. You're a lot cooler than I am. Oh, yeah? Whose is yours? Five Star. Uh, anyway. Wow, I remember putting Five Star on in Manchester. <laughs> the girls screaming with their mums holding their hands while I they know, stood on the chairs. Something like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was... Um, Again, the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yes. But they're coming soon. The specials are coming soon. They sell out in very quickly. They mm. are the most... They're, they're a fantastic band. A fantastic band. He is very cool live as well, the lead singer, isn't he? Oh, he's very a cool. swine. Oh, but a cool on stage. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've got two of them, really. You've got, <laughs> you've got, Nev, you've got, you've got Nev and you've got Terry Hall. And Nev Terry has... Hall. Neville Staples has, for years, toured the country doing his mm. own thing. And, um, and, and then you've got Terry Hall, who's, a, you know, you say... Not Mr. Happy. <laughs> but he's very cool when he's with yeah. the band. And of course, mm. I've two spoke... different. Ex- it's two. Mm. It's two d- and some people, you talk about Terry Hall and in the specials, <laughs> and they go, oh, look, sh- who's, who's that? And you go, Fun uh. Boy 3. And they go, Oh, yes. Yeah. And you go, Okay. So you, you, you're not quite as far back as, you, <laughs> as I am. But it was one of the greatest concerts. It's one of the few concerts now. I suppose health and safety's kicked in, and it'd be frightening now when you crash the stage. Yes. Well, I think there were more people on the stage wow. that night with Madness and Selector. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's probably not a good idea. Oh, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> my first ever Fred Perry and my, and my yeah. first ever concert. And that was just, I still will think of it now. It's a good starting point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. After that's gone downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you're not from Portsmouth, but you're so Portsmouth. That makes sense. You, and, and you sort of embraced Portsmouth so quickly. I think we, we mm. were working together quite soon into your yes. new position. And it was, you sort of like, adopted it like so quickly i love had you been before then or yes i'd had a bit of a personal connection i had a connection with gospel right in that i ran uh i was part of a team that ran the old cinema the ritz there okay Mm. Um, we were trying to convert it into a theater the the council were commissioned me as a consultant at the time to try to turn it into a theater and they ran out of money basically Mm. so i knew gospel and come across to portsmouth Mm -hmm. um and my wife's family are a naval family so they have Deep connections with Portsmouth. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, they come from Leicester, and they, uh, my, my mother-in-law belongs to a naval association in Leicester. And you know, when I go to it, and they ask me how the Guild Hall is in Portsmouth, because mm. all these ex or, or retired naval uh, seamen and officers mm-hmm. have really fond okay. memories about Portsmouth yeah. going to the Guild Hall. Mm. And you've got to be really careful how you, you yeah, what you say and do. Really, I was just saying when you saw the Portsmouth Guild Hall, and obviously the, the, the role came up. Yes. Was it sort of like, I know it, I've got to do this, I've got to do it? I felt it was like coming home, Darren. I I had 
I, 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 I see that I'm a bricks and mortar person. I had great fun in Luton opening a wonderful building, the Hat Factory, and we did a lot of the work creating a really unique art centre. Mm. And then in the 80s and 90s, working at venues, as we've spoken about, like the Manchester Apollo mm. and Drury Lane, I mean, the Lyric Theatre, I had to say, I mean, I even painted it. You know, I got out with a paintbrush <laughs> and was backstage in the dressing rooms. You know, when you put that investment in a building. Mm. So it, it, I am a bricks and mortar person. I love buildings and I love these venues because I like the fact that they can entertain audiences mm-hmm. and audiences experience something very unique. Mm. So coming to the Guildhall, I, mean, I remember coming out of the station, hitting that square and then seeing this re- the, the, the reveal of the Guildhall, mm. and it, it was stunning. Mm. Absolutely stunning, and I was, you know, I still am emo- quite emotional when I come and see it to the to this day. Mm. I get a real pride if I, I'm doing some business in London or somewhere where I've got to travel back by train, and I come in to the square and you see it, I go, wow, that's just that's something different. How how does it feel for you to be obviously running running the, the Guildhall now when you see so many great concerts and and so many great, you know, some all the audience's reaction to. To some of the things that they've seen. I often see you in the shadows, actually, at the top, looking over. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I saw him um, getting his thing down what? to um, <laughs> to Ben Portsmouth, who's the greatest yes. impersonator yes. I've ever seen yes. in my life. It was stunning, yes. Ben Portsmouth. Well, I go, you know, I, the the team of the Guildhall, I have to say, are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, uh, and I don't just say that; they are a, a really special group of people. And what quite amuses me is they used to be coming in to see a concert. I mean, gone on the days when I work evenings and have to be there when the tickets are toured. In the early days, I would stand by the security and watch everybody come in. And But, you know, it does put people on edge when the chief executive is standing right next to you. <laughs> and I found out very quite early on that as I was walking around the building in an evening, they were radioing ahead to say, you know, the boss is coming around. And I remember my memories going back to the West End Mm. theatres and, you know, places like Liverpool and Manchester when the boss was visiting us. It did put us on edge. Mm. You know, it didn't make me as relaxed or comfortable. And okay, I knew we were being watched. So I have remembered that. And so therefore, when I come in, I try not to impose too much upon the management of the evening. I like to go in, sit down, watch the concert, and just enjoy it, yeah. mm. and uh, that's 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 what I do. Yeah. When when you first took over, what, what do you think? Obviously, we'll talk about your, your role now. But what do you think were the major problems that, that faced the Guildhall? I think the Guildhall had become um, disassociated with the mm. live music industry to a point mm. that many promoters no longer were putting gigs down there. I spoke to two or three within the first few weeks, who I knew. Why is that? Do you think? I think the marketing, there was no, the website back in the uh, pre-trust days was, was really poor. I mean, it wasn't really a proper mm. website. It wasn't user-friendly. No, no, not at all. And they didn't actually have a venue management team who knew console management actually working there. They had people who worked, I mean, the company, I think it was DC Leisure, they were a sports and leisure company. Mm. Yeah. So there was a challenge to suddenly reacquaint ourselves with the industry and, you know, to... To, to pick up the gigs, uh, it should be it should have been picking up, and we had to do a lot of work. You know, I, I spent a lot of time visiting promoters all over the country. I still do when I can. You've got tricks. I have tricks. You had the what was the um, <laughs> Gary Barlow trick? You, is it like the hamper and the? Oh, we do. We we we, we leave stuff in dressing rooms, <laughs> and we you know, and actually the Wall of Fame is a bit of a trick because of course you know, someone like Mark King, you know who has a very special passion for the Guildhall and is actually one of our patrons. You know, the promoter who is based in Manchester said, well, I think next year we'll, we'll tour Southampton. But no, 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 we're in Portsmouth. 
It's always going to be Portsmouth. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's just trying to get. And you get it. You've got to get into the artist's mind. And yeah. uh, you know, Mike and the mechanics were with us last uh, Saturday night, and we always do really well with ticket sales for Mike and the mechanics. And yet we treat them very specially, because there is a legendary guitarist on mm. stage who's been with Genesis, who's reasonably local. I mean, if you look, check his Wikipedia page, it says he's from Portsmouth. Although I think he's probably more from Guildford than Portsmouth. Mm. But you need to treat people properly and you mm. want to encourage them to come back it is a money game you know mm. it's about box office it's about making sure the artist and the promoter gets the return so part of the challenge in 2011 2012 was putting in a new marketing team and you'll know colleagues who've been working mm. in marketing who we've worked who we, we introduced yeah building a new website in 20 uh, 2012 and doing a lot of work talking to promoters and saying look come back Give us a chance, this you know. Yeah, mm. Personally, I think the Guild Hall in Portsmouth is better than Southampton oh, and, yeah. and others. And let us show you what we can do. And now we are inundated with concerts. And there's often a question I'm asked is, why don't you always get every concert that Southampton gets or Bournemouth gets? You know, the, the truth is that when a promoter roots a tour, they will obviously focus on the big cities first, like London and mm. Manchester and, and Birmingham. Yeah. They will then try to find how they can select what their their priority their priority dates are. But sometimes you can't give them a date because you have another artist been. there. And I always tell the story that we lost Bob Dylan four years ago. You know, Bob Dylan was due to come to the Guild Hall in Portsmouth, having been there ten years beforehand, and we had the date. But Manchester had a clash of dates, and they had to prioritise putting giving Manchester our date, and they wanted to give us Manchester's date. And I couldn't because I had a comedian who wasn't the biggest comedian in the world, but I wasn't about to sort but of throw the. You've got a contract. I can't yeah. shut the comedian out, although yeah. it's Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan went to Southampton instead. And you also said, obviously, if you were just a venue for concerts and yes. you would be, you know, obviously the building's like five stories. It's, it's a big old building. So, and mm, it's all yes. needs heating, all he's doing. So you've yes. opened your doors up to more than. So yes. you've got the Makers Guild in there yes. now doing phenomenal work. Mm. Um, it's just, and also you have now changed a bar into a new studio. So yes. you've got more studio space for smaller smaller Correct. events. Yes, I mean, it, it, the, the Guildhall is more than just a concert hall. I mean, it, mm. it's, uh, it's a concert hall which most concert halls get mm. a lot of, or have had a lot of subsidy and support from whether that be the Arts Council or local authority. And we know what's happening with public centre finance. I would say we are probably the most efficient um Concert hall management, certainly in the south of England, we've done our figures. We, we we get a fraction from the local authorities, say compared to the Paul Lighthouse or Colston Hall in Bristol, or all the other venues you might name, including Southampton Guild Hall, mm. to run a building which is bigger than all of those. And so, therefore, the business plan was always to introduce other activities such as conferencing and meetings and making the use of its its greatest asset, which is its space. But then to introduce other cultural activities, so you mentioned the studio, and to sort of widen the opportunity as we, to introduce, as we have done, children's theatre, mm -hmm. and uh, to look at more diverse music opportunities. Uh, you know, tonight we've got the Gutter Brothers coming in. You know, 130 tickets sold in a space which takes 150, 160 standing. It's, really good. it's a good gig. Yeah. We had uh, Paul Young's Los Pacaminos back in January. These kind of things. We've got space next um, Saturday night. And it just means that there are more affordable ticket prices. 
for the local community mm. come to come to, to come to and still see great artists. Because you had Queen in there the other day, didn't you? Yeah, Spike Edney. That was a great evening. That was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, see, well, we got Spike ca- coming back in with September with the, the SES band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's uh, that was a really really good evening. Yes. Um, and and again, it was it was the thing about the the, the smaller uh, uh, theatre that you've got there on the side. It's a really intimate venue and and you really feel close to the yes. artist don't you which you never get anywhere no I, and i think that's that's why uh small music venues mm. and we, we could talk for hours about <laughs> how they're they're being destroyed for all sorts of reasons <laughs> but they they need to come they need they need to we need to have small music venues they're you know pubs and, and pub bands are fantastic but the moment you you look at a small music venue where you're putting in the technical investments and you're saying it's for original music and mm. emerging bands mm. and for niche music, it means that they can find an audience. And, you know, the the bands, I mean, I, I, you know, we both, we all know Steve Pitts, and Steve will tell you the story at the cellars they, they used to have, I think, you know, the likes of Mumford and Sons there mm. before they went to the Wedge Rooms, and then he's at the the Pyramids, and then he's at the Guildhall, yeah. and then, you know, they're, they're playing arenas. There is a, 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 a stepping stone, a, step yeah. a gradient to, to go from small to large. And what's brilliant, I've always thought, especially Portsmouth, I don't know if you've found this in other cities, is that all our venues working together rather than competing with each other. I think I think it is important. I think the, um, the important thing, I think, which works with Portsmouth is that there is little competition. Um, I think, you know, when people ask me what my competition is, and they assume it's the King's Theatre, which it, it isn't. It's the different. King, the King's Theatre is a theatre. Mm. It does weekly shows mm. and the odd one night. My competition is really when I look to the likes of the BIC in Bournemouth mm. and the G Live in Guildford. And I want to, we have an audience which comes from an hour's drive time. And I want the people not just living in Portsmouth, but the people who are living in uh, Petersfield and Midhurst and Fareham, when they're thinking about, okay, which venue is our concert hall? Mm. It's mm. got to be the Guildhall Portsmouth. Mm. Mm. Uh, when do you do your research now? Have you seen a, a difference in postcodes on your, your ticket yes. sales? Yes. I mean, the, 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 the drive time analysis we do, we do, a, I mean, people who know and work with me will tell you I'm very anal about data. <laughs> and uh, and every week I'm sitting down with the marketing team mm. and we are really going into significant analysis of where people are coming from, how to define your audiences. There, There's a lot of great opportunity to identify how to reach out to audiences. You know, social media is, is, is hugely important these days. Mm. And therefore there are things you have to do. Um, and you still can't forget the traditional means, mm-hmm. you know, getting people to, to hear it, getting people to see hard materials like posters and leaflets. And also, I just want to finish on a couple of things. Um, one is the new events you've had come in and obviously the, the trustees that you've um, you've appointed. Yes. Um, obviously, the big one coming up is Comic-Con. Yes. So that was a Guildhall concept that were you working with the Comic Con company? Yes. Um, this is in its third year. It's a second, second, second year. Second year. Oh my God. No, Comic Con's interesting. I, we, I know. I have to tell you, it's a bit. It's, this is a bit of a personal. So my best mate um, uh, and his friend run a magazine called Tripwire Magazine, and they are. He is one of the leading comic collectors in the country, and we always said we should do a Comic Con, and. Um, when you look at putting an event on, you need somebody right in the middle who specialises in, in that activity. So I couldn't just go and do a Comic-Con because I said, oh, great, let's do one. You have to have somebody who knows the industry, knows yeah. the sector. Yeah. So he you know, he said, let's let's do this. We as an, an organisation wanted to start producing our own events. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of people bringing events into the Guildhall. 
but we thought we should do some, we some do ourselves. That yeah. Well, we thought we could do something <laughs> more specialist. And of course, the other thing you do as an organisation is you should look at things which look at artist opportunities. So, whilst it was a comic con, there are two versions. One is very much what you call celebrity-led comic cons. If you go to London, where they will put up, you know, you know, the guy who used to play the Hulk, Lou Ferrino, will charge them fifty thousand pounds to come across just just to do two days. But well, we're not that size. No. So we then looked at the big artists. And because we're working with these guys from Tripwire magazine, they can get to these artists from the States, and all they want is travel to come across mm. and a hotel room. Mm. So, you know, last year we had... enjoy it. Yeah, we had, the, we had Walter Simonson, who is now one of the great artists who'd worked with Marvel Comics. Wow. And this year we've got Roy Thomas, who is the man who replaced Stan Lee as head of Marvel Comics. Wow. And he's, you know, we've got people like that. And that's because you're working with people who know the sector. Mm. And, and that's a two-day event. It's a two-day event in uh, May. In May, and first beginning weekend of May. May. Yeah, yeah, first weekend of May. And we have to say as well, shout out to, to Kelly for marketing, because I always say that whenever I interview her, I'm going to get you on a crane in the Guildhall Square and have her dressed up as Wonder Woman. <laughs> and have her flying around. The, 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 she's been, not into it. We've been trying. We, in fact, members <laughs> of her team do, do dress up. And in yeah. fact, this Sunday, they're doing a drop from Spinnaker Tower. What, which dressed is, up as Yeah, Spinnaker dressed team. up. We did it last year. They dressed up as in superhero costumes. I remember that. And uh, they're doing it again this Sunday. And uh, we had them uh, uh, on the steps of the guild all over the week uh, we that. do lots of wacky stuff we, mm. we work with a company called Go Geek as well who are fantastic and have helped us uh, with costumes and, and people like that and uh, <laughs> it's good it's good fun my, my, my last question to you uh, the, the legend is Mr Andy Grace <laughs> um, who would be your ultimate at the guild hall if you could put them on whoa Oh, that's a that that are forget forget the forget the uh, I suppose you've got to forget the size of the artists. Yeah. Because if you rationalise it and said, okay, which which artist should come to us who hasn't come to us? I mean, there's a band. I one of my favourite bands is a group called Suede, mm. who I've constantly tried to bring into the Guildhall. And they always go to Southampton because they sort of see two universes and think lots of students. And I know they sell out the Guildhall really easily, and mm. I've seen them all over the country. But, I mean, I'm a big Springsteen fan. Cool, you know, can you imagine one day he says, I'm going to do small venues. And there's a guy who's only ever toured this country, I believe, once, and I'm a huge fan of. You might have not, not have heard of him, but it's a guy called Bob Seger. Mm. And I've been a fan of Bob Seger since I was about 15, and he hasn't been over here since 1980. And he's now in his 70s. If Bob Seger came over with a silver bullet band, <laughs> I'd be made up. Well, you never know. Miracles can Miracles happen. Miracles might happen. Yeah. If you say that panto season, we can get our specials. <laughs> <laughs> to make it happen. Andy Graves, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank sir. you. Thank nice you, talk you to so you guys. much indeed. Thank and again, you. if you want to find more out about the Portsmouth Guildhall, what's the website, Andy? It's www.portsmouthguildhall.org.uk. Fantastic. Thank you so much indeed, sir. Thank you. Been thinking about cosmetic surgery? Fancy a skin tightening, fat reduction or hair removal treatment? Maybe you'd like a hair transplant. Surgeons, doctors and practitioners deliver safe, ethical surgical procedures. Veins treated at a fraction of the price of private hospitals. We love acne and ageing skin problems. Local, discreet, trusted, caring. That's what you'll get from the team at Changes Clinic. Pop in for a bit of a change. Still you, just better. Call 02392 38 or www.changesclinic.co.uk.